Bold Predictions Part 2. Welcome back, fellow football fanatics. It's your host, College Football with Sam, and today I'll be offering up three more of my bold predictions for the 2023 college football season. Within a week's time, I will be releasing another bold predictions video, but they won't be my bold predictions. Rather, they will be yours that you commented in part one of my bold predictions series. I asked my viewers in that video to comment three of their bold predictions, and most of them did. So therefore, I have a plethora of bold predictions to review and analyze, and I will be doing so in the video that I will be releasing in the coming week. So if you're curious and want to see me review my subscribers' bold predictions, please hit the notification bell and subscribe to this channel so you can get notified the minute that video drops. Also, I would appreciate it if you like this video and comment your thoughts down below so we can get this video in the algorithm and grow this awesome community to 10,000 subscribers where I will be doing a giveaway. Thank you very much, and we're going to start off in the Big Ten where I have one hefty bold prediction. And that is that Penn State will lose to Michigan and Ohio State by 21 or more points apiece. You may be thinking, wow. And I too, to a certain degree, am shocked that I'm making this prediction. Earlier this preseason, I was much higher on Penn State than I am now. But a few things changed my mind. One of them being returning production and the other, of course, being the build of the roster. In studying things more, like the longer a preseason goes, originally I look at the flashier players, as I anticipate that many of you do. And as more people declare for the draft, eventually the deadline hits, then there's spring practice, there's the transfer portal, all these different things come through, and now here we are. Now we have a much better idea of what the team is and how they're built. It's still a very incomplete idea. The only time we will have a complete idea of what a team is or what they can or will be is perhaps never. But at least we will have the best idea when the season is over. However, in order to make a prediction, you have to speculate. And returning production is a good indicator of things, of a team's success. It's not always perfect, but it helps. One of the reasons that Penn State is viewed very highly this preseason, I find, is not just the defense, but it's especially the offense. Sean Clifford, as we know, had a limited ceiling, and he certainly had a floor that sometimes was an annoyance. After four years at Penn State and having the best season of his career last year, where he had a 150 passer rating and was a top 25 quarterback by efficiency, he's moved on and he was drafted in the fifth round by the Green Bay Packers in the 2023 NFL Draft. Penn State returns four offensive linemen from last year, running backs Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen, tight end Theo Johnson and wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith, all of whom will be supporting the new five-star quarterback, Drew Aller, who is the best quarterback in the 2022 class, according to 24-7 Sports, and has hailed and received Josh Allen comparisons coming out of high school. Defensively, the team returns defensive ends Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac. At linebacker, they return Abdul Carter and Curtis Jacobs. And at defensive back, they return Johnny Dixon, one of the nation's best corners, and Kalen King. And safety, Keaton Ellis. So why am I picking Penn State despite returning a solid amount of starters 
and having a new quarterback who should, in theory, have a better ceiling. James Franklin's been here for quite some time, and he's returning both of his coordinators. Mike Yersich and Manny Diaz were the OC and DC last season, and Anthony Poindexter, the co-defensive coordinator and safeties coach, is returning for a third year. So staff continuity, they have a good amount of returning starters, and they have a high-ceiling quarterback. Why am I making this prediction? Especially since they have Michigan at home, and in theory they match up well with Ohio State, who has a tackle problem. Well, first and foremost, the offense for Penn State is 102nd in returning production. Now part of that is because they lose Sean Clifford, returning production metrics heavily factor in the quarterback, which is valid because it's going to be Drew Aller's first year starting. We don't know who or what he is yet. He looked good in the spring game from an overall quarterback perspective, but that's because he looked okay at passing the football, but great at running the football. He has two great offensive tackles, especially an elite one in Olu Fashanu, but the interior of the offensive line doesn't seem to be as strong as many other Big Ten interior O-lines, and certainly when you compare it to Ohio State or Michigan's interior O-line, the lineup for those will be Donovan Jackson, Matthew Jones, and Carson Hinsman for Ohio State, Zach Zinner, Trevor Keegan, and Drake Nugent for Michigan. Doesn't even come close to those two interior O-lines, nor does it have a favorable advantage over the opposing interior defensive lines of Michigan or Ohio State, where you'll have Michael Hall, Ty Hamilton, Tyleek Williams, Tywon Malone, or for Michigan, Chris Jenkins, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, etc. That's a bad matchup, especially given the fact that Penn State likes to run the football. And if you look at the Michigan and Ohio State games that Penn State played in last year, Nicholas Singleton had zero rushing touchdowns zero. He also failed to cross 100 combined yards in both of those games, and that's not necessarily his fault, though Nicholas Singleton, much like Travion Henderson, I would say has issues when it comes to moving the pile forward, which is Catron Allen's strong suit. That's why he actually had a rushing touchdown in each of the games against Ohio State and Michigan. Catron Allen can pile drive. I don't think Nicholas Singleton can, can pile drive. And when you don't have the best offensive line in the world, or you have a poor matchup advantage there, you need to pile drive. So Penn State being a boomer bust team offensively already, especially when it comes to their best running back, and then on the offensive line, having problems on the interior, and low per returning production equals a ton of questions. A lot of questions which Ohio State and Michigan don't have. Sure, Ohio State, when it comes to returning production on offense, is 97th. But a large part of that is also due to the fact they're losing a starting quarterback. Except Ohio State has a great reputation at quarterback. Ryan Day has had three quarterbacks in a row taken in the first round. Penn State hasn't had that. They have not had that high level of development. And Michigan hasn't either, but they return a proven player who I think is going to be a great near-elite quarterback this year in J.J. McCarthy. They return him. That with the trench advantage, the fact that on the interior of the trenches, whether it's offensively or defensively, Michigan and Ohio State are vastly superior. Both have elite running backs that are on Penn State's level or better. Michigan has Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Ohio State has Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, 
Dallin Hayden, Chip Traynham. Michigan also has, they have their fullback, they have C.J. Stokes. Kalel Mullings is the fullback that whose name I nearly forgot. But looking at all these things, and then Penn State's defense also being very susceptible in big games does not give me any hopes about the Nittany Lions this season. Overall in the Big Ten, they're 8th in returning production and 56th nationally. Ohio State's 48th nationally and 7th in the Big Ten, but when you factor in talent, perhaps the distance between these two rosters in Penn State and Ohio State is much greater than one would think. Meanwhile, for Michigan, they have similar high school recruiting talent to Penn State, but they're 5th in overall returning production, 4th offensively. You heard that right. 4th on an offense that scored over 40 points per game is fourth in returning production. Michigan's offense is going to be elite this season, and they're 16th defensively. So from a returning production standpoint and a team build standpoint, the matchup does not favor the Nittany Lions, period. Amen. The Nittany Lions will allow 80 combined points and 1,000 combined yards to these two teams. You think that's shocking? They did it last season. Michigan had 500 I think 563 total yards. 563 total yards, one turnover. Penn State only had 268 yards in that game, and 418 of Michigan's yards were rushing. They were rushing yards. Michigan returns both of their starting running backs, and Penn State loses interior defensive lineman P.J. Mustafer, who while he didn't recover from his injury against Iowa in 2021, you're still losing production there. You're losing a solid starter, a guy who last year was probably a all-conference honorable mention before then was an even better player. Penn State did a much better job at stopping the run against Ohio State. However, Ohio State's returning both of their guards, and their running backs should be healthier, so I would expect Ohio State to have a much more dynamic, deadly, and forceful rushing attack, and they also return all of their wide receivers. They, they simply just don't return their tackles and their quarterback. That's it. And they'll probably reload at quarterback. The biggest question, of course, for the Buckeyes is offensive tackle, where they showed vulnerability in the spring game, and they had to go out and get Josh Simmons, who's an okay offensive tackle from San Diego State. But Ohio State, they had 452 total yards. Penn State in that game actually outgained Ohio State in total yards yards with 482, but they had four turnovers. They had a forced fumble, and Sean Clifford threw three interceptions to defensive ends, which is a very weird statistic to say, but that just gives credit to Larry Johnson and what he does. Look, Penn State's going to be a really good football team. I think they can win it all if everything goes right for them, which is has a very low percentage chance of happening, but I think they have the talent at quarterback at tackle, running back. There are enough potential unicorns or proven unicorns already on the roster for them to get where they need to get to where anything can happen when they're in the four-team playoff. And they can win the Big Ten. I don't think they're nearly as good as Ohio State or Michigan. And while there is that possibility, when I do my research and from how I see things, it almost seems disingenuous to put this team on the same level as the Buckeyes and Wolverines. Penn State will return Drew Aller and both of their running backs again in 2024, 
and by then Penn State's 22 and 23 recruiting classes, which were some of Franklin's best and also had strong recruits on the offensive line, should be even more mature. And with an easier schedule, I think Penn State's year is much more likely to be 2024 than this season, and I will continue to say that. It's not that Penn State will be worse than last year. Again, what's on your screen right now may not even be that bold, because it happened last season. I'm more or less so saying that things won't change or will get slightly worse in the matchups than they have last year. And Penn State will be better than last year, make no mistake. I just think Ohio State and Michigan will be even more better and that they will grow even more in comparison to last year compared to how much I think Penn State will grow. There are going to be some growing pains with Drew Aller, but there will also be some high notes. And I think it will be the same thing with the offensive line because looking at history and looking at what football is, which is trench play, it's not Penn State's strong suit. And their run game last year and in years prior in the biggest of moments, has not exactly been a game-winning factor. Plus, James Franklin is bad game management, and Jim Harbaugh has exercised his own demons, and Ryan Day, four years in, has proven that his program, despite being worse against Michigan compared to Urban's, might be better in almost every other aspect. So the Big Ten's going to be strong. It's not going to be to Penn State's benefit, but with the changing schedules in 2024, that could be their year, and this still could be their year. I just don't think it will. So that's number four out of my bold predictions for the 2023 college football season. That Penn State will lose to Michigan at home and Ohio State on the road by three touchdowns or more. They'll allow 80 combined points in those two games and 1,000 yards combined. I think I could go a step further and say they'll allow 500 or more combined rushing yards in those two matchups as well given that the Buckeyes and Wolverines will be strong forces on the ground. Up next, we're going to the ACC with North Carolina and Mack Brown. Their over-under win total is 8.5. I'm just telling you right now, under, 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 under. They have Gene Chizik as their defensive coordinator. They allowed 61 points to Appalachian State. They lost their good corners, Storm Duck and Tony Grimes. Duck originally transferred to Penn State, where he got beaten out because Penn State is one of the best cornerback rooms in the country, perhaps the best one. So you're not going to be starting there if you've played in the ACC. He went back to the ACC in Louisville. And Tony Grimes will probably be a starting corner or a depth corner for Texas A&M, or Texas 8-4 as we affectionately call the Fighting Jimbo Fishers. North Carolina will win seven games, and it will not be Drake May's fault. This is none of Drake May's fault. Not one bit. This is all on Gene Chizik. It's all on Mac Brown. Drake May was awesome last season. He had the 10th best QBR in the nation. He had a 157.9 passer rating. He had 38 passing touchdowns, seven interceptions. He passed for 4,321 yards and he rushed for 698 yards and seven rushing touchdowns, all while getting sacked 40 times. I think he led or nearly led his team in rushing yards, which is just an insane statistic in and of itself. Yes, he led his team in rushing yards, and his offensive coordinator is now gone. Phil Longo was hired away by Wisconsin, and Josh Downs is gone. Storm Duck, who led the team in interceptions, is gone. 
and who led the team in passes defended, Storm Duck, and then third or tied for second on the team in that statistic, Tony Grimes, he's gone too. I just think this year is not set up to Mac Brown's liking. Plus, with his age, with the hirings that he's made, and the fact that they're recruiting poorly now, they went from being one of the best teams in recruiting for several years in a row and having an underwhelming 2023 recruiting class, and their 2024 recruiting class is looking pretty bad. I think that this year would be the year if they're going to do anything just because Drake May's going to be you know leaving for the NFL draft after this season and after that I have no clue how North Carolina will function with the way they recruit how they scheme they hired Chip Lindsay as offensive coordinator away from UCF which I think was an underrated replacement but their schedule is also tough they face South Carolina in a neutral site it's a non-conference power 5 opponent September 2nd They play App State September 9th, App State being one of the tougher, more, you know, gritty group of five schools at home September 9th, and they almost lost to App State last year. Then they host Minnesota September 16th, Minnesota being a team that I know they lost Muhammad Ibrahim, and I know they lost John Michael Schmitz in their whole offensive line, but in watching their spring game, watching how P.J. Fleck has organized that team, it's a stark contrast to North Carolina. Stark. Minnesota recruits at a vastly inferior level, but they develop at a vastly superior level. And their trench play, I would take that over North Carolina's every day of the week. There's a potential that the only place where North Carolina has an edge in that game is offensive coordinator and quarterback, and Minnesota has the advantage everywhere else. They're deeper, they're better at development, they're better coached, they're more physically tough, better conditioned, even when traveling south. That, that'll that play to North Carolina's advantage, no doubt, but Minnesota's a team that, given North Carolina's defense, which was terrible last season, they could run all over. They could run all over North Carolina. I mean, they could do what Notre Dame did to North Carolina last season, for all I care. And then before the bye, September 30th, they have to travel at Pitt, September 23rd. You may think this is crazy. There's a realistic scenario where even with Drake May, they go 0-4 in those games with that defense. That defense is disgusting. It's morbid. That's the, that's the September part of their schedule. The September portion of their schedule. After the bye week, they have Syracuse at home, Miami at home October 7th and 14th, Virginia at home October 21st, and a road game at Georgia Tech, which will be a revenge game October 28th. They could bounce back after going 0-4 and go 4-4 for all I care. Then they have Campbell November 4th, Duke November 11th. Duke's a team that returns a lot, especially in quarterback Riley Leonard. They went 9-4 last season. At Clemson, will be very interesting. Cade Klubnick will be starting at quarterback. Will Shipley will be their starting running back. Road game at Clemson, November 18th, and a road game at NC State, November 25th. North Carolina could have a losing record, and frankly, I think a losing record for them is more likely than 9-3, and three, given their schedule. So I'm telling you they're going to win seven games. More broadly, I'm telling you that they're going to go under their win total. I on my schedule for North Carolina so far, have them going 7-5 and 
in the regular season. I have them losing to South Carolina, Minnesota, and Pittsburgh in September, but beating Appalachian State. And I have them winning against, besides Appalachian State, Syracuse, Miami, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Campbell, and even against Duke. I think that'll be a shootout. But I have them losing to Clemson and NC State, and I have them losing their bowl game. But if they win eight games in the regular season, I would have them, not eight, but like if they won seven games or six games in the regular season, whatever works out for the bowl game, I'd have them win or lose. I'm thinking seven and six will be their record. I have them currently losing to have them currently losing to Kentucky in the Duke's Mayo Bowl is my projection for North Carolina. Seven and six losing in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. But what matters for win totals is the regular season, and I think they'll get seven wins there. I have a very hard time seeing this team win nine or ten regular season games, even eight regular season games. They have an underrated one of the nation's, I'd say, or at least the ACC's tougher non-conference schedules. I think South Carolina will be competent again, and I think Minnesota will be a top-20 team, despite losing nearly everyone because of their portal acquisitions, they, the fact that their starting quarterback's more mobile than Tanner Morgan, their trench play should reload, and they return quality safeties, defensive backs, and even trench players on defense, too. I think North Carolina wins seven games. Drake May will still be one of the nation's better quarterbacks. He'll improve from last year. The offense could be realistically better, or all around at least less volatile, but I don't expect the defense to be better. I expect it to be worse, especially with all the departing transfers from the secondary. So that's my thoughts on North Carolina, and that's bold prediction number five on the year. Up next, we have one that I don't know if it's so bold or not, but since it's breaking a record, I have it up here anyway. Carson Beck will shatter Georgia's record for passing yards in a single season. Now, who was that set by? It was set by Stetson Bennett. That's right. It was set by Stetson Bennett just last year. He passed for over 4,000 yards, and he broke that record because of amazing performances against TCU, against LSU, and a great performance against Ohio State in all of Georgia's either postseason or non-regular season games. The championship week, I don't necessarily know if I should count that as postseason or count that as a part of the regular season. Maybe one of you just for fun could answer that down in the comments below, but whatever. It was Georgia's final three games that really made breaking that record possible for Stetson Bennett. And he went 15-0, his team went 15-0, won the national title, Stetson Bennett transformed himself with the help of Todd Monken from a glorified game manager into one of college football's all-time gamers. It was truly phenomenal what he did, especially starting off as a walk-on, and I will forever appreciate him for proving me wrong because I said time and time again he's not a great quarterback. Well, he is a great quarterback. He indeed proved me wrong. He passed for 4,127 yards last season, where I currently have Carson Beck projected is passing for around 4,200 yards, over 30 passing touchdowns, and having around a 170 passer rating. Georgia got Ra-Ra Thomas and Dominic Lovett through the transfer portal, and they also got Brock Bowers, star tight end, who's returning after having two phenomenal years in a row 
at Georgia, where he had like 13 receiving touchdowns in 2021 as a true freshman. True freshman. Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington were expected to be the starters at tight end that year. Washington got a foot injury. Eric Gilbert left the team. And you know what happened? Brock Bowers from California, who didn't play in his final year of high school due to COVID and ran up a mountain to stay in shape. It's a really cool story. What he did is he had one of the best seasons at tight end, perhaps in college football history, as a true freshman. It's very incredible. Last season, he had 942 receiving yards, averaged 15 yards per reception on 63 receptions, and he had seven receiving touchdowns. He also had 109 rushing yards for three rushing touchdowns. So he had 10, he had 1,000 all-purpose yards and 10 total touchdowns as a tight end. It's absolutely incredible. 6'4", 230 pounds, you could probably put him at running back for all we care. And he would do phenomenally behind Georgia's offensive line and with his speed, elusiveness, fantastic hands at catching the football, very clutch. He saved he saved Georgia's season against Ohio State by stretching out that arm and basically planking himself midair to get that first down and I think a fourth and five. So Georgia has phenomenal receivers, not just at tight end, but also wide receiver, whether it's Arian Smith, Ra Ra Thomas, Lad McConkey, Marcus Rosemay, Jack Saint, or Dominic Lovett. Georgia has one of the deepest wide receiver rooms in the country currently. They also return... Interior offensive lineman Tate Ratledge, Xavier Truss, Cedric Van Pran, and Amarius Mims. So a solid portion of players in the offensive line who got rotational playing time or starters like Van Pran are coming back. Kendall Milton and Dejon Edwards, along with occasionally Branson Robinson, also had playing time at running back. They do lose Kenny McIntosh, who is one of the leading receivers on the team, so that hurts. But Carson Beck, to help him out, has a pretty easy schedule. He is one of the nation's easier schedules. And luckily for him, that schedule, when it's not just easy overall, it's especially when you look at defense. There is no team that I can spot at all that has a great defense on Georgia's schedule. UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, and Georgia Tech, all of Georgia's non-conference opponents, none of them are going to have a great defense. It won't be like Clemson in 2021. None of them will have even a below-average defense. They will all have bad or terrible defenses. South Carolina, Florida, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, four more teams that are in conference. Those will probably have average-at-best defenses, which will look like trash when matching up against Georgia's elite offense, given how they've recruited and developed their Todd Monken left Georgia in a very good situation, and while I don't think Mike Bobo is nearly as good as Todd Monken, Monken was perhaps the nation's best offensive coordinator last season, and Mike Bobo has a reputation with quarterbacks. He developed Matthew Stafford, Aaron Murray as well, who previously held the passing yard record at Georgia, so Georgia's offense is definitely in great hands. Maybe not elite, but in great hands with an elite head coach and elite recruiting which is going to get you great results. Kentucky, Auburn on the road, Ole Miss and Missouri are teams that could have good, maybe even great defenses, I would say, in the case of Kentucky, Missouri, and Ole Miss. Auburn I'm a little more sketchy on. But those three that I said great, they're at home. 
And by at home, I mean, that was a, that was a mistake. I meant to say, Georgia's got them at home. Missouri, Ole Miss, and Kentucky all have to travel to Sanford. And that's not going to be good, especially when all three of those teams don't have a competent offense outside of Ole Miss's run game, which won't match up well against Georgia's interior D-line. None have the offense paired with a defense to make a competitive game, which means Carson Beck and that offense will be able to wear and tear and just rack up yards especially with those great wide receivers. This will be Georgia's best receiver room, tight end and wide receiver combined in a long time. I don't know much, admittedly, about Georgia football history all time, but I think at least under Kirby Smart, and maybe even looking at the Mark Richt era, this could be Georgia's best receiver room in the 21st century. Comment down below if I'm totally off on that, and I'll learn something, but just looking at the vast talent in that room, I don't know if anything that Georgia's had compares there. I know for running back, certainly, which is what Georgia's known for, they don't have a great running back room, but certainly have the potential to have an elite passing game. So I think Carson Beck passes for over 4,000 yards, certainly, projecting him to have 4,200 passing yards, which would break Stetson Bennett's record. As a result of this, I think Georgia will score over 42 points per game on offense in 2023. With an even easier schedule than last year, and with a quarterback that I think probably is going to be more of a stable player, or at least will have a higher ceiling than Bennett. Bennett was a great QB, but let's be honest, he's gonna he had limitations. He's not an elite quarterback. Carson Beck was a highly recruited four-star out of high school, and he's been there for years was developed under Monk, and there's a very good chance Carson Beck steps in, and maybe even if he doesn't have some of the high points that Bennett had, because let's be real, Bennett last year either looked mediocre or he looked potentially like the nation's number one quarterback, whether it was turnover issues or a complete lack of turnovers and just destroying teams like TCU or LSU, but against, you know, Samford or Kentucky struggled mightily. Carson Beck, I don't know if he'll be that volatile at times. I think that the consistency there, while it won't necessarily help in big games, I think Bennett, with Monken especially as OC, became one of the best quarterbacks in big game moments, transferring from one of the worst to the best there, just seeing that he was undefeated in the playoffs and in every playoff game, except for maybe the one against Alabama, he played at a great level. And the one against Alabama, the 2021 National Championship, he played a good game too. He didn't throw a pick. He had a very controversial fumble that could have been overturned, but it just wasn't. For Carson Beck, I think this consistency, especially he has a much better wide receiver room than what Bennett ever had. And losing Darnell Washington, well, for most programs, that'd be a huge deal. Brock Bowers was always tight end number one. And Oscar Delp, who will be a sophomore this season, he will plug and play. He'll plug and play at that second tight end role. So this offense will be deadly, and especially with the offensive line production returning and the easy schedule, they'll roll over everyone. Their first challenge may be against Tennessee on the road, but that would be in a shootout. And typically Tennessee, a shootout would favor them, but I think with Georgia's physicality, and with Tennessee's defense not being great, 
and Georgia's defense. I don't know. Just something about that game, especially with how Georgia has transformed itself under Monken, tells me that Georgia would now be comfortable engaging in a shootout. They beat Ohio State in a shootout last year, albeit it was a come-from-behind victory. And LSU, the score wasn't as close as the game indicated, but they allowed 30 points, and LSU was able to get behind Georgia's defense several times that game, but at the end, Georgia said, okay, we'll score 50 points on you. So I think this team has evolved with the game. I think their first challenge will be their first true challenge where a team might be able to make them uncomfortable. I think the only way Tennessee beats Georgia is if they get ahead and Georgia has to play catch-up, which won't mean necessarily Georgia's uncomfortable, but they just got behind. Maybe a fluky performance. But the first team that can truly challenge them physically or make Georgia uncomfortable will be either in the SEC championship game or in the playoffs. I think this team's destined to go 12-0 and again. I don't even have them as my number one team, and I think they'll probably look like the number one team to most people just because their schedule's easy, which means their points scored per game and points allowed per game are just going to be off the charts. And they'll break records on offense, especially, as I've already mentioned, with Carson Beck. So that's bold prediction number six, and it's the final bold prediction of my video. So the bold predictions were Penn State will not beat Michigan or Ohio State. Rather, they will lose to the Wolverines and the Buckeyes by 21 points or more apiece. North Carolina will go under in their preseason win total and only win seven games. And finally, Carson Beck will beat Stetson Bennett's record, school record, of passing yards in a season. And Georgia's offense will score 42 or more points per game. Thank you all for watching. Please subscribe and hit the notification bell if you haven't already, and like this video, and comment your thoughts down below. I'll see you guys later. Bye-bye.